Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Seat Go Create podcast. This is your host, Tim Winders, and I just want to welcome you to this episode. Before I really introduce our guest, I still, I just want to continue thanking you all for downloading and listening. I continue to be blown away by the comments and the feedback, and I appreciate it so much. And I just want you to continue sharing it and giving us that feedback and ratings because we really, really do appreciate it. I appreciate each and every one of you that are taking the time to listen. It really means a great deal to me. I am, this is going to be so much fun today. I have, uh, and I guess I can call him an old friend. We have been connected 20 plus years ago, connected less and less. But anyway, I have Mike Bear with me today. And let me just give his, I guess his formal intro, but he and I are going to, I hope banter is not the right word, but we're, we're going to have fun with this conversation because in many ways we are like-minded, but that doesn't mean we, we won't uh, have fun with this conversation and, and really dig down deep on some topics. He's a veteran of what we call the modern business as mission, sometimes shortened to BAM. So if you hear us use the term BAM, it's really business as mission. He is a pastor, entrepreneur, theologian, and executive. Mike has led and taught BAM on every continent except Antarctica. We need to see if we could work that out. I actually have two friends right now in Antarctica, Mike, so maybe we could do something down there. He's a prolific author, speaker, founder of the Joldas Project. He graduated from Flagler College and the Dallas, Dallas Theological Seminary. Today, he and his wife live in North Carolina mountains, and I might actually ask him some about that because they have a cool place there. He's, he's been a pastor and church planner for 15 years, a strategic coach and a leadership consultant, staffing executive since 1991, focused on turnarounds, launches, leadership, lean process improvement, strategic planning, leadership development, and just a host of other things. Mike, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. And I, I appreciate the introduction about a, an old friend, somewhat disconnected, but we do go way back and... Uh, Appreciate, always appreciate your heart. Yeah, yeah. We, um, we actually, actually, before I do that, I, one of the things I kind of like to start with is, you know, we give formal introductions, but I like to ask people, just give kind of their quick elevator speech. What, what do you really do? What do you do? So that's a great question. I, it's, I've been reading a book recently called Purpose by a guy named Ben Renshaw, and uh, does a lot of work with really helping you collapse all the stuff you do into a a purpose that, that holds it all together. And so I've now gotten to the place, instead of saying I do three or four different things, um, when people say, what do you do? I say, I equip people to have impact. And it doesn't really matter where. It can be in business or church or my kids, my grandkids. You know, I'm, I'm wired from the inside out to help other people learn, grow, get mended as necessary uh, so that they can go out and make a difference. Excellent. I, yeah, I love that. And I've kind of had to go through that exercise too, to really kind of pinpoint in just a few words, what, what I do. I have, I have to say two things before we kind of launch in, I'm going to have you, I'm going to have you explain to us what this business as mission is. And we've got a lot, lot to cover in this podcast. I just want to let the listener know we're going to be moving around quite a bit, but before I do, I want to share this with you. I, I was, I was in Denver I think it was about a year ago and I went to a, a meeting of business people that happened to be believers and they were having a lunch meeting and I'm always looking to connect with people. I know you're the same way. And 
I, I went to this meeting and it was about 12 people around men and women and uh, a lot of successful business people. And, and they were talking about a lot of things, but when they got to the topic, the guy leading the meeting pulled out a book and said, this book by Mike Bear on business as mission is our guidebook. <laughs> and, and I'm sitting there and I'm going, I know Mike Bear. <laughs> he and I worked together. He allowed me to tag along with him 20 something years ago. So how, how, how big is this, Mike? Where all is this gone now? Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. When we first started exploring the modern BAM concept, it was really born on the mission field. It was born in Kyrgyzstan, Central Asia, uh, we thought. Uh, and it was simply the idea of using business as a, a way to um, enter a country, a way to build relationships, a way to help people start their own businesses so they can support their families. There's a lot of reasons why we took the business route. And um, so it was really a very spontaneous thing in Central Asia. Come to find out, it was happening spontaneously all over the world. And so it would pop up in, in Southeast Asia. It would pop up in, in Africa. So it was, it was, I've always said there was no human hand guiding it. Uh, it just began to happen. It was something that, that God was doing uh, different ways, but, but the same basic concept. Today, it is a recognized worldwide movement. I mean, there will be, for example, uh, the Global BAM Congress happens every seven years. There will be several thousand people meeting in Thailand in the spring to compare notes, to learn from each other, to, to find better ways to continue the movement and continue the impact. So it has gone from being a fledgling little concept that no one understood to becoming a major movement in the Christian world, if you will, focused primarily on uh, the fourth world, the unreached people groups, the 1040 window. Uh, not that it doesn't have impact in the States, it certainly does, but it's more, uh, it's more global than that. You know, I, I wanted to get you to give us a definition, but you said something that triggered something in me. I, you and I, I don't, I don't believe we're supposed to question God, but you just mentioned something that there was a bigger hand involved with the spread of this. If you were to guess, if we had God on the podcast with us, why was he wanting that to expand all over and you observed that it was going on kind of organically throughout. I mean, would, would you guess now that many years later you could look back on it? Um, yeah. And so a couple of thoughts on that. It's a really good question. So a couple of thoughts on that. One is, you know, we talk a lot about the unreached and just to quickly define that for the listener that uh, an ethnic group, an ethno linguistic group to put it in technical terms, um, there are several thousand in the world that have no sustainable gospel witness, you know, no sustainable church, no sustainable ministries of any kind, typically no Bible in their language. And so they are unreached or some people call them the ultra unreached or least reached, but, but they have been concentrated primarily in uh, North Africa, Central Asia, Southeast Asia, you know, that's the, that's where they live. 95% of the unreached people groups live within a geographic area we just described. And yet 95% of the church's resources around the world don't operate there. And so we've got it backwards. So part of what I think was going on is it was God's time to move into that part of the world. It was time to go to North Africa. It was time to go to Saudi Arabia. It was time 
And you, you simply can't go in as a traditional missionary. You just uh, you can't get in. You, can't, you have no reason to be there. You can't get a visa. You can, you, know, you can fake a business or something of that nature, but it doesn't work. And so, number one, I, I really believe it was God's timing to reach out and impact that part of the world. And he's doing it primarily through business and business-related work. I think the other answer to your question is I'm convinced that God didn't want anybody's name on this. You know, we, we all have egos and we all want to claim that we started something and, you know, have our, you know, whatever it is we want, our egos crying out. And I think God did it in a way that said, nobody is going to claim this. Nobody can stand up legitimately and say, hey, I was the first person. Or, I did this or I did that. I think this is one of those cases where uh, it's about his glory. And he wants to make sure that nobody, nobody is trying to take any of it. Hmm. That's. Gosh, that's good. That could lead to a whole topic on itself. But before we get too much farther, I would like for you to define what we mean by business and as mission. And also, I guess I'm going to kind of make a request of you. I know we have listeners that have a strong faith and are followers of Christ. And, and there are some, uh, quite a few in ministry, I know, and, and quite a few in business. But, but Mike, I also know that we have some listeners that may not even know what we're talking about up to this point. <laughs> you know, and so if you could give kind of a broad definition before we dive down and you know, maybe you know, sometimes as believers, we could kind of have our own little language. Uh, between us. And so maybe if we could go high level before we dive down, because I've got a lot of questions that are deep in this topic. Can you do that for us? Yeah, well, I'll attempt to. So let me, let me see if I can attack this from a couple of different angles. The one is the working definition I use for business as a mission is the, the natural extension of my relationship with Christ into wherever he has placed me. It just happens for me to be in the business world. As you know, I was a pastor for 15 years, church planter, deliberately left that in order to get more embedded in the community. I actually, you know, I've talked about this years ago. I actually believe that my pastoral role was a barrier more than a bridge. And so, so I left and went into business and, and after 10 years in business, realized I got to figure out how to put all this together. Uh, and so it was the idea of understanding, number one, and I'll give it to you in reverse, but number one, God had literally called me into business, just like he called me into the pastorate. That's an important piece. Um, he had placed me in specific businesses, whether it was a company you and I worked in together or whether it was other companies I started or the company I work for now. He had placed me in that context in order that I might be a witness for Christ, an example of what it means to be a true follower of Jesus, not putting a Bible on my desk and not putting out chick tracks in the bathroom, but... <laughs> But, you know, just living out faith. I always look at the two examples for me are uh, Daniel uh, and Joseph, both of whom lived in totally pagan societies. They were placed there sovereignly by God to be examples, to be light in the midst of darkness. Uh, and, you know, they weren't pastors. They weren't priests. They weren't prophets. They were, I'll take that back. Daniel actually turned out to be a prophet. But, um, you know, that's that's what it was. And so when I look at business's mission, that's how I think about it. And it's not, you don't have to go overseas to do it. Uh, you, you, you live out your faith, whether you're the owner or not. You and I are both entrepreneurs, but you can do it as an employee. Uh, it's not required that you be the owner or the founder or anything of that nature. And, and, I, and why I think it's so important 
and this is another, for me, part of the high-level thing, is there's, a, there's a, a terrible error in our theology that says that certain things are sacred and certain things are secular. And the typical way of thinking about it is, you know, what happens on Sunday is important to God. What happens on Monday is just a means of paying for what happened on Sunday. And that's absolutely wrong. I can't say it any stronger. It's just, it's total hogwash. The, the, the seamless integration of business missions, the phrase I've used my entire career in this, in this work, that it's meant to be your whole life. Anybody listening here, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's just meant to say, my whole life is lived under the Lordship of Christ. And, and by the way, if you're not a follower, become one. Um, you know, put your life under his Lordship. But all of it, my family life, my business life, my physical life, everything is e equally under his Lordship and not meant to be set up in sort of some weird hierarchy of something more important because it's, quote, sacred. And I think that's, to me, the biggest lesson I've learned in 30 plus years of this is that until we capture that first truth, that is not meant to be any division. It's meant to be a seamless experience of Christ in my life, wherever I am doing whatever it is that I'm doing. Um, I, I really can't go any further because I'll be doing, as one person said, I'll be doing business. I'll be doing mission to justify business. And business needs no justification. Sure. So, I hope so, that yeah, that, that does help. And, but, it, uh, but like many things, all right, I, I just came out of a Bible school environment that I'll use a term, and I, and I don't mean it negative, it might come across negative, but, but let's call it a hyper-spiritual environment. And there were many people there that are looking to have an impact for Christ that they follow. And, and I don't know if it's subtle, I don't know if it's intentional, I don't know if it's the enemy, I don't know if it's God, but there is, you just touched on it, there is a root that is in, let's just call it religion or circles, that full-time ministry is the pinnacle. And the rest of us are, I'll use a term, chasing after filthy lucre, whatever. You know, I'll, I'll, use, I'll use a couple of inflammatory comments. What, what do you say to that, Mike? No, you're exactly right. And in fact, I experienced identical thing when I left college and, and went to a missionary training school, they never actually taught what you just said. And I suspect where you were, they didn't actually have a class on, you know, this sort of wrong thinking, but it was everywhere. And the way I've always described it was to say that, that you know, it, there's a hierarchy and at the very top of the hierarchy were missionaries. I mean, our heroes were C.T. Studd and Hudson Taylor and, uh, you know, Adnan Judson and all these, I mean, they, they, were, the, they were the uber saints. And if, if God really had a call in your life, that's what you become. And then if you couldn't do that, the next best thing was a pastor, right? You could be a virgin or with the older or whatever. And that was really important. So these, these two exalted sort of positions. And then you start getting down into the, the masses because that doesn't cover very many people in the body of Christ. And so all of a sudden you say, well, okay, I guess the next group would be doctors and teachers and nurses. They, they help people. Right. So they're good. And then you get down a little further and you start landing in the world of business. And they sort of like, well, if he didn't really know what to do with you, but he, he likes you. Um, yeah, you can do business. And, and by the way, you can help pay the bills around here. You know, sort of thing. We, we do like your money. We want your money. Can you just absolutely get your money or level that says and then underneath all that are the lawyers. So with all with all apologies to the lawyers. But there is this sense of 
you know, it, it's a whole idea of being closer to God. And I don't want to go too far afield today, but how can you be closer to somebody that you're united with? <laughs> right? I mean, Jesus said, I am in you and you are in me, just like, just like the Father and I. I mean, we can't be closer. So we've got all these weird, you use the word religion. And I think that is the root of it. It, it, is, it is what I'm doing to get God's attention and God's approval. And the whole gospel is built on the opposite of that. And so everything that starts with me trying to get God's attention or earn blessing or please him or whatever is on the wrong footing. It's everything in my life is meant to be a response. So I think that's the gospel is much more than salvation, right? It, it blows up every false concept that's out there. It blows this up too. We're all in Christ. We're equally in Christ. There's no high and low calling and there's no uncalled. You know, when people say, well, I've never been called. Well, yeah, you have, because if you're not called, you're not his. You're called. And so to be able to wake up in the morning and say, I'm called to work. I'm called to, to go into business. I'm called to go write something or sell something or build something or, or trade on the market. I mean, I'm called for that. What an amazing confidence we have when we, when we know and believe that. Yeah, that's good. And And kind of what you're... I actually had a question written down here. You sort of covered it, but I'm going to ask it again in case we might have a different thought. I was going to ask you, what do you see as the relationship between church, ministry leaders, business? And then I wanted to throw this other component in here, which is money that seems to mess up a lot of the thinking about all of these items. Yeah. So I guess you've talked about some of those, but let me throw money in the mix because yeah. that's a big factor here. And we have to. We absolutely have to. So, so let's let's sort of take those and, and prompt me here. But let's take those in, in order. So, let's let's start with. And I'll, again, I, I you know me, I can go forever on this. I'll try not to. Let's let's start with church. And let's let's start by saying we are not talking about a building on the corner of First and Main, right? We're not talking about a building at all. Big, big C, not small C, right? Big C church, yeah. not small C church. We, exactly. We we're a, a church. I didn't even like the word, and, and I'll tell you why. It's an old German word that means house of the Lord, church. The word in the New Testament is, is a totally different word, ecclesia, which means assembly. And so a church, let's, let, let's just throw that word out for just a second so we get the point across. God called out his people, and, and they assembled together. And they may assemble 10 in a place, 20 in a place, 10,000 in a place. When they assemble, they are the church. They are the assembly of God's people. And so if we start with that understanding, it, it, it immediately answers the question, is church, you know, over state or church over business? Like, no. The, the, the body of Christ is, is the body of Christ wherever it is. You and I can sit down in a conference room like I'm in right now in Santa Barbara, California, and we can be the church. We're not the whole thing, but we could be a part. We are an expression of the church. So start with the, with the reality that when we think church, we've got to think body of Christ. We, we've got to think assembly of believers and not an organization with a, you know, music and pass the plate and buildings. I mean, that, that's all fine. I have no issue with any of that. But if, if it becomes the point, then we've missed the point. So that, that'd be number one. Business, if, if you want to be really biblical about business, you go back to Genesis and you find out that God made Adam to work. Right? He didn't make him to sit around and, and weave daisy chains. It says he put him in the garden to work it. And so work existed, as I pointed out, I was speaking uh, one time in, in Ulaanbaatar, uh, Mongolia. 
And a pastor was challenging me very respectfully, but very spiritedly about, well, work came after the fall. In Genesis 1 and 2, you had creation, everything's beautiful. And then in chapter 3, that's where work enters. And I said, no, let's go back and reread it. Work was there in Genesis 1, before the fall. It was, a, it was part of the good creation. When God looked at the end of each day and said, it is good, work was included in that. The whole idea of working the garden was good. Um, it wasn't until sin entered, and it wasn't that's not when work showed up. That's when work became hard. That's when it became toil. That's when it became less fruitful uh, than it had been before. But work was there in the beginning. And the reason this ties into the money thing, why was work there? Well, I believe business is one of the one of the pillars of any society that God is establishing. You have the family, you have the church, you have academia, you have, you know, some say four, some say seven, it doesn't really matter. It's the idea that God has institutions that serve specific purposes. And the specific God-given purpose of work is to produce wealth so that so that the society can flourish. Right? And so think about it. I mean, no, no wealth. What what's that society going to be like? It's going to be poor. It's going to be underfed, malnourished, undereducated, with a corrupt. I mean, it all ties together. So God created the concept of wealth creation for the purpose of supporting and serving society. Money, this is just a little history lesson. In the beginning, people didn't trade money. They traded furs. They traded cows. They traded land. They traded bushes of wheat. And, and money, as we know it today, it was simply a convenience where somebody said, you know, it's kind of dumb to carry my cow around with me all the time. Why don't I carry something that represents the cow? And that became coin and later bills. And now we have you know, electronic money. And so money is medium of exchange. It's no different than an email in that sense and totally amoral. And, and, and so when you look at that and people say, now let's jump to the filthy lucre, right? Yeah. That's the King James way of saying it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so first of all, money is not the problem. And let's be clear, Paul did not say in First Timothy that money is the root of all evil. It's definitely be biblical. He said what? The love of money is the root of all evil. And therein lies the problem. You know, we, we all about to say this. It is, the, it is the fallen heart. It is the selfishness. It is the ego. It is the pride of, of a man that takes anything, not just money, and makes it a way of exalting himself over others. And ultimately, what's the attempt of that? To exalt himself over God. I mean, you even heard the phrase, he's got more money than God. Well, we, right? We, it's, it's a joke, sort of. <laughs> maybe not so much a joke. And so what do we use money for? The, the divine purpose of money is just a medium of exchange. So we can do business together. So that we can do commerce. I mean, everybody on this podcast, that if you do it just to make money, you're, you're, in a pro, you're in a bad way. If you do it, but knowing you should produce money, yeah, then, okay, what's the question? The question is why? Do I use it to exalt myself over others? Do I use it just to enrich myself and live a self-centered life? Or do I put it to work for the kingdom? Which includes providing for my family. It includes nice clothes for my wife. It includes putting my kids through college. But it also includes giving, and not just to the building on first in Maine, but giving to brothers and sisters in need, giving to people in my community I don't even know who are in need, spreading the wealth is a very biblical concept. Now, let's be very clear. Coercive, taking it from me and giving it to somebody else who doesn't produce is not biblical at all. Scripture is very clear. If a man doesn't work, neither should he eat. It's harsh, but it's not there to be harsh. It's there to make a point. 
Nevertheless, if I have money and you have need and you're my brother and I claim you're my brother and I'm not coming along to help you, something's bad wrong in my heart. So the issue is always the heart. Right. And, and I, I, I think the thing that a lot of us see is that money becomes elevated beyond just that medium of exchange I think that you're referring to. There's one, when you were saying that, Mike, there was a term that came to my mind and I've used it, but it's kind of become a pet peeve. And I, I want you to uh, either tell me, yeah, it should be a pet peeve or correct me that no, it's okay to say this. I have heard a lot of people in spiritual circles that, and I actually spent some time in a prosperity message and have kind of worked through a lot of that. And, you know, all of these movements within the, within God's people have some degree of good and some degree of bad as, as we could probably discuss. But one of the statements that people would make is I'm going to do this business or I'm going to create this, or I'm going to make a boatload of money to fund the kingdom. It almost is like if they just add that to fund the kingdom at the end, it becomes okay spiritually as if, you know, that's going to make it okay. Am I being overly critical with that statement or is, is that accurate? Uh, well, I, I could take it two ways. So okay. I, for some people, you may be being a little harsh in that they are sincerely saying, um, Hey, you know, I'm working to make money because I want to support. Now, what do they mean by the kingdom? I don't know, but they do have a giving heart. I think there are some people that are sincerely that way. I think the majority though, and I think it's a legitimate pet peeve. I think the majority are, are the other side of the coin that that's how they're justifying it. And, you know, God told me I need a new jet. Like, I, I'm sorry. I, you know, I don't mean to offend people, but if you believe that we have a problem. You and had to bring out. up the jet, Michael, you had to bring up the jet. <laughs> well, I know you're sitting in the cockpit of your personal luxury. I'm in camera. the cockpit of the RV here. Yes. No, no, I, I, I get it. I'm with you. Oh, yeah, and I, and I think it's a terrible witness, and I'm not going to call any names, but I think it's a terrible witness when people are living lives of just opulence. And I don't mean comfort or even a certain level of luxury, but just opulence, multiple homes, multiple cars. I mean, palatial. It, it, when I look at that and I just say, I don't think that's what God had in mind. And the world looks on and stumbles. Now, the flip side, let's be clear, Jesus did not teach poverty. He did not. He taught about foolish rich men. He taught about selfish rich men, but he never said, go be poor. And even if you want to go to the Beatitudes and say, blessed are the poor, read it in context. You have a version in Luke, blessed are the poor, and a version, a more expanded version in Matthew. And, the, and he, what he said was, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, he, it's not, I'm not here to argue with people who believe poverty is a virtue, but I don't believe it's a virtue. I think it's a, it's a part of the curse. And so when I look at that and I say, I'm going to, I'm going to make money because that's what business does. When a family, you're having about to have your first grandkid. Um, when a family has children, it is doing what it was created to do. It's, it's part of the purpose of a family is to have children. It's not an afterthought. It's not just a blessing. It's all of that, but, but it, it's the purpose marriage. Part of the purpose of marriage is not to be alone, but part of the purpose of marriage is to, recreate, appropriate, and to say, let's have kids and then disciple those kids and teach those children the ways of the Lord so that they can do the same thing. It was one of the original means of, of world evangelization was families having godly children. 
And so government, what does government exist for? If you look at, at Romans 13, government exists for justice. I mean, that's what Paul makes it very clear. He said, don't fear him if you're doing good. He's there to enforce justice, the governor and the, so forth. And so every institution has a purpose, the church for worship, fellowship, edification. And what about business? If, if business is an institution and it was in the creation, so I maintain that it is, the purpose is to create wealth. In fact, any business that doesn't make money is not a business. But some, but some, Mike, I'm going to, I mean, I, you know my beliefs on this, but I'm going to, I'm going to try to get in the head of someone in our society that would say, but look at what capitalism has become. Look at the abuse. Look at all the greed. That can't be good. Come on, Mike, we can't tie this in with our belief system and all that. That's, yeah. that's not good. Respond to that. Very, very, obviously very hot topic today because of the politics in the U.S. Um, so let's begin by, by defining our terms. There are only two economic systems in, in human history. One is capitalism. Well, I could I take that back. You can go back to agrarianism. I mean, you can go back way back. But fundamentally in the modern world, there is capitalism, which simply means you, you create wealth and then learn how to let that wealth work for you, right? That's capitalism. Free capital, free market capitalism, right? Leave, get the government out, let the market and the, the invisible hand of the market, in the words of Adam Smith, it will self-regulate. So that's the definition. The, the other is socialism or communism. They're the same thing. Uh, and, and the idea that literally, and this is true socialism, it's not just being kind to people, it's not having welfare, it's not having health care. It is literally built around the premise that the government is the most important thing because it takes your wealth and distributes it according to people's needs, which sounds nice until you've gone and seen it. I would challenge anybody who has seen flaws in capitalism, and I'll come back and address that, but I would challenge anybody who's upset over the flaws in capitalism, the inequitable distribution of wealth and all the other things that happen, and go live in a place that was ruled by the Soviet Union. And you will come back thinking, oh, my gosh, I will take our broken capitalist system over that any day. And yet it doesn't sound good. Here's the, in the old Soviet Union, the phrase that they used officially was from each according to his ability to each according to his need. So if you are smarter and can work harder than me, you should. And if I'm weaker and, and, or lazier and I have more need, you should give it to me. And by the way. I want to interrupt you here. You, you've been to these countries. You've spent yes. a lot of time here, Mike. Tell us, for credibility's sake, tell us how much time you've spent in those areas. 20 years I've spent in, in primarily the Central Asian Republics of Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, but also in Russia proper, um, Chechnya, areas like that. I mean, I've been there, done that, and seen it. And, and so, you know, their whole idea of, of creating this, this idyllic society where everyone is equal is a total bust. I mean, just like in capitalism, there's an elite. There was in the Soviet Union. And by the way, there is today. In fact, one guy wrote a book. His name is Robert Michaels. And he wrote a book called The Iron Law of Oligarchy. And what it says is in every single system, it doesn't matter. Capitalism, uh, socialism, communism, totalitarian, name the system. There's always somebody at the top of the pile. I mean, in the mafia, it's the godfather, right? It's the Don. In government, it's the Senate or the president. I mean, every system has somebody at the top. I don't care what system. And so when you look at the Soviet Union, you saw an elite. When you look at the American system, you see an elite. 
That's a given. So stop fighting about that part. But the poverty, the lack of, of motivation, the, the, in fact, they used to use a phrase with me. They say, you know, the, the official phrase was, you know, equality. And they said, but they left off the most important part. It's equality and poverty. And that's what you saw. You saw literally millions of people who couldn't heat their homes, couldn't afford a car. Uh, when they would stand in line for bread, and, and it's just people don't know that. They're, I'm going to be blunt. Americans today, uh, and many Westerners, but certainly Americans, are ignorant of history. And they have no idea. They have no idea what the Soviet Union Tell, tell us what you think, Mike. Tell, tell yeah, us. Me, hold I, back. Can I be a little more blunt? <laughs> be, but, but, be more blunt. <laughs> but we are willfully ignorant of, of history. We don't understand our history. We don't understand the history of the Cold War. And so we're talking about things we know nothing about. When people, even Sweden. Everybody thinks Sweden's so great. And, and by the way, some of my best friends are Swedes, and I think Swedes are wonderful. It's a beautiful country. But their system is not the, the perfect system that everybody makes it out to be. And anybody who lives there will tell you, no, it's not perfect at all. So we've got to learn. And so when I hear people saying, and it's going to come back, we talked about filthy lucre. The issue in capitalism is the same issue in socialism. It's the heart of man. I mean, right in the book of Acts, this was an amazing story. In the book of Acts, the, the, the early believers brought everything they had. They shared everything in common. And that is technically voluntary socialism. They agreed to hold their goods in common and make sure that no one lacked. That was beautiful, but it was spontaneous. It was spirit-led. It was voluntary, even with the Ananias and Sapphira deal. Peter turns and says, it was yours. You didn't have to do anything. You didn't have to give it in. And that's why they ended up dying. So, so if it's forced, it's broken because it's forced by broken men on either side. Yeah, There's, this thing is is biblically pure capitalism, but I will tell you that in my opinion, the the biblical model for an for an economy is free market capitalism, meaning every man is free to work and produce and buy and sell and keep the government out of it as much as as much as it's feasible. Yeah, I, I love that, and for those that have listened to this podcast, they know I've shared a good bit of my journey. And probably 20 plus years ago, when you and I were working together, Michael, I was, I was a believer. I was saved in a business environment, but I was, I was chasing after money more than I should have. And I believe that's one of the reasons why the Lord didn't bring some of my downfall financially on me, but he used it when he had the opportunity yeah. to teach yeah. me some lessons and things yeah. like that. And, and, you know, I think that's, that's something that we all need to learn. We all need to have that relationship so that we can hear, are, are we supposed to work in a New Testament in situation where we all pull our resources together? Well, if we're hearing from the Lord, maybe, but if, you know, you and I get together and we make a doctrine out of that, probably not. Yeah, no, that's well said. That's exactly right. If we suddenly make that the hottest doctrine going, then, you know, if you look at the, the example, the book of Acts is a great example of many things. It's not written to tell us what to do. It's, it's written to tell us what happened. But there's not one single command in any of the New Testament that says, pool your resources and all live off the same bank account. You know, it, was it a beautiful thing when it happened? Yeah, it was amazing. Should it be the norm? In, in no way. Yeah, and there's so much history there that we won't get into. I, there's a couple things I really want to get your thoughts on b before we finish up here, and we're we're already pressed for time, but we're going to get oh, some yeah, things in here. Christian business versus kingdom business. 
you spell out a difference and they both sound really Christian-y and really churchy to me, but you say there's a difference between the two and that one makes more sense than the other. Yeah. I mean, listen, and, and let me, in the same breath though, but we also have, since you and I worked together 20 plus years ago, we've actually had this birthing of, uh, I'll call them secular businesses like Tom's, Allbirds, Bomba, all these companies that are now missional. So yes. let's, also, let's also bring that into this description also. No, that's such a great question. So, and you had to pick on the, the one part of the book that I would, I would write down if I were to do a revision. Oh, good. Because honestly, where I was going when I wrote that, and I wrote that almost 14 years ago, um, I was trying to make a point to motivate American business people in particular, but the West. I was speaking in England and France and Australia and different places. But I was trying to make a point for those of us in the West. The, um, so, so I was trying to make a point of saying, don't just look at home. Don't just be that faithful Christian in business you know, in Atlanta. But think about the world. And so given my style, and you know my style pretty well, is I overstated to make a point. As I say, you exaggerate to approximate. And I think along, and it was a valid point at the time, but I do think it might have created a bit of a wedge in people saying, well, gosh, I'm not going, and we're back to that hierarchy. So to me, it was about priorities, is that, you know, the, the millions of unreached people, billions, literally. Uh, let's think about them. That's really the point. Um, and I did see at the time, and again, I would retract this today, I, I did see that many of the so-called Christian business movements were only about how to be a better Christian in a comfortable place. And I, I just kind of like, mm, that, that bugs me. I don't see it that way today. I, I go back now, and this is the value of 20 years, and you know, you and I, we've, we've paid a few prices along the way, and we've grown a lot. Um, I would say now, you go back to the original premise, business's mission, Christian business, um, marketplace ministry, kingdom business, on and on and on. They're all if you're coming from a place that says, I belong to Christ, if he has called me into a place to be his representative and to live in me and through me in that setting, that's, that's the same all over. And so the fact that he calls some people to go do business in Pakistan and he calls some people to go do business on Peachtree Street, it, it doesn't, it, there should be no distinction. And I think that's, and I'll tell you what, what woke me up to this one day as I was um, working in Indonesia and ran this wonderful, wonderful Christian uh, factory owner. They made furniture, which is if you have the furniture in the world now is made in Indonesia. And uh, he was trying to figure out his ministry. And I asked him, well, tell me about your factory. And he said, well, I've got like 200 Sudanese employees. Sudanese footnote, are probably the least penetrated unreached people group on the planet. And so I fell out of my chair. I said, you, you have 200 employees from this people group in your factory. You get to be with them every single day. And I mean, it's just so excited. He said, yeah, I said, well, there's, there's your ministry. Just go live Christ among them and watch, watch what he does. And then somebody later asked me, and it's a great question. It's one of those slaps in the face, right? He said, so you went over there, so you crossed an ocean. So for you going over to Indonesia, it was business's mission, right? I said, right. He says, and your Chinese friend, if he were to open up a factory in China from his headquarters in Jakarta, would that be business's mission? I said, yeah. He goes, but doing it in his hometown, would that not be? And that's when the lights came on. I said, this is a ridiculous distinction. It's all the same thing. I think one of the things you said, though, is, I, and 
you know, I don't think this was a snarky thing because I, my mind thinks the same way. Just slapping a sign of the fish on your marketing <laughs> material. I kind of picked up on a little bit of what you were saying was people that were maybe using their Christian banner, maybe not in a deep heartfelt way. And we can't judge that, but I've, I've seen that before and maybe you have too. Yeah. Oh, we've all seen it. I think that I'm sure there are, I always say, don't put a fish on your car uh, because you'll be the one who cuts me off in traffic and that will be your witness with Jesus. So all of the outward trappings, and this is, we're back to religion, right? All of the outward trappings, there's nothing wrong with them, but they are, they have no power. A fish uh, has no power. Uh, a cross around your neck has no power. The power is the living Christ in us. You know, Paul referred to us as those who we carry the aroma of Christ wherever we go. And that's, to me, irresistible. You know, if people meet me, it's like, okay, that's Mike. But if they meet Jesus in me, they're at a life or death decision point right then and there. And I think that's, I'm learning over the years, it's just not about me, it's about him. Let him do the work. Yeah, that's good. I, I, we might need to, you just kind of called me out. The name of our RV is Theopolis. We call him Theo for short. So I don't know if we need to change the name or take that big, you know, blinking light sign off the back. No, I'm just kidding. You just mentioned something that I, I want to dive into. In in, in the book, um, Business's Mission, I recommend everybody get it. It's a great book. It's a, it's a good read. And, uh, and I think it has value, even if, as you said, there may be a few things you would want to change. But you you go over kind of four, I guess, foundational principles, vocational, intentional, relational, operational. And I, I know you and I, we could have an episode on each one of those, but something you just mentioned to me speaks of love. And, and I, I just want to drill down with you. Is, is it possible to have love in a business, hard charging business that's competitive and, things like that. And absolutely. absolutely. In fact, I would argue for a disciple of Christ, it's impossible not to have love in that setting. And, and obviously it's, it's like everything else. We come back to definitional issues. If we think love is weak, soft, cuddling, cuddling non-performers, uh, you know, not, not firing a thief because he stole from your business, then we don't understand what love is. Right. Remember that the one who, allowed John to lay back on his chest at dinner was also the one who created a cat of nine tails and drove the money changers out of the temple. So we've got this sort of wimpy view of love, first of all. Uh, and, and so if you, if you go back to this premise, and you're talking about the operate or relational aspect of kingdom business, you got to view it in, in business, whether you're an employee or employer, everybody in your life, everybody in that business is a stewardship from God. He has given you those relationships to manage, to nurture, to develop, and so forth. If you start with that premise, even somebody you're terminating, you, you think of it differently because you realize this is a relationship that God put in your life, and, and you, you value it in, in a, a much more powerful way. The heart of love is to, is to meet needs, right? The heart of love is to serve. The heart of love is, is unself. You can live that every day in business. You, you can live giving yourself away, serving your people, training, equipping, um, you know, giving them chances to, to stretch you know, their, their, their muscles and, and learn new things. Creating a product is love. If you come up, every real product that's worth anything is a solution to a problem. 
And so if, if you're solving a, a problem, I mean, it could be the, the obvious one, river blindness, which is where Merck Pharmaceuticals, you know, that's what they discovered the cure and gave it away. Um, or it could be just simply a guy needs a job or, or he, he needs, you know, a place to, he needs accommodation because he's in a wheelchair. Well, love meets those needs. That's what love does. It doesn't mean I'm just going to sit around and we're going to make patty cakes and, and sing kumbaya at the end of every day. Uh, we're going to serve our customers. That's love. We're going to serve our fellow employees. Uh, we're going to serve our employer. I mean, if you even, and Jim Collins always says he's, he's not a Christian. Maybe he's changed since I heard him speak last, but he values Christian truth. Um, and, and he wrote Good to Great, among other tremendous books on business. And he talked about the level five leader and the definition of the level five leader, the top development you know, level that a leader can get to is somebody who has two, two traits. One is he has professional will to win and he has personal humility to not take the credit for it. That's love, right? I, don't, it, it, I, I should want to win. I don't have to crush the competition, but I want to win. That should, I should have that. At the same time, I should be others oriented so that it's not just, and I think that's love and business. Yeah. And stewardship, like you just mentioned, which is a word we've really utilized a great deal on this podcast. I, I want you're, you're currently and have been for a number of years had specific expertise in the employment industry and in the uh, in, in the business of temporary employment and the people business, I'll call it. Take what we just discussed, the importance of love, and give us some practical or real world applications in the business because you're dealing with people. And, and I've seen you when we were working together 20 years ago, we worked on in a lot of different industries, but you are still heavily involved with that industry. Tell us, first of all, tell us what you do in that industry and then relate it to these concepts we've just talked yeah. about. So, well, so the, 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 t- <laughs> the title I have is chief development officer, which means nothing. And I get called on by software developers and um, M&A guys. But it's meant to express that my, my role in company uh, is to develop the people, develop the culture, and develop processes that support those things. So it really is about building, building people, building culture. In particular, in our world, and, and so in, in the temporary health business, we, we get a bad rap because people think we've created some sort of impoverished working force, um, workforce. But that's not true at all. The, the truth of the matter is, um, People, I'm going to say it bluntly, the, main, the two main causes of poverty are dropping out of high school or dropping out of school and, and teenage pregnancy. I mean, those are, those are statistically proven uh, causes, main major contributors to poverty. We take that very seriously. We study our workforce we, and we commit to get them good jobs uh, so that they can make more money and hopefully begin to work their way out of poverty. That, that's, that's our mission, that we, we use this phrase. We change lives one job at a time. And so when we give, and the way we look at it is when we give somebody a job or offer them a job, we're giving them an at-bat. We're giving them a chance to go earn a competitive wage, to learn new skills, to increase their income, to, to improve their lifestyle. I mean, we, we see that as an, a door. And some people don't walk through it, and I, that's fine. I can't, I can't control that. But there are wonderful stories that we share in our company of people whose 
not just their lives, but their kids' lives that for generations have been changed because somebody took a, a chance to treat them with respect, to get to know them, to figure out what they could do, to get them a job, and then to keep them growing in that job. For, for example, we have, we have a thing we call Better Work Life Academy that we offer free to all of our temporary associates with 100,000 of them. We pay millions of dollars a year to offer this to them. It is a college level education they can get through Penn Foster, which is the largest remote learning company in that space. And it's been tremendous to watch people that take advantage of that. Of our, it's a weird number, but of 100,000 employees, we have 25,000 enrolled in the program right now. I wish it was all 100,000, but you know, thankfully some took advantage of it. So we, we hire to that, we train to that, we support to that. But guys, we are here to change lives. We're here to give people a shot. Does that mean we never terminate somebody? No. Does it mean we ever never turn somebody down for a job? No. But our overwhelming mission is to get good jobs for good people so that we can change their lives. And we love that. I mean, I, people are, and I, it's not unusual in our company when I talk about that for people to cry, to really tear up and understand that we're doing something, you know, much, much bigger. And I, I think that's true for every business, Tim. Every industry has a higher purpose. You mentioned about missional businesses or social businesses that aren't Christian at all. That's totally right on. I mean, I don't have to be openly a, a I would like for people to be, but I don't have to be an open follower of Christ to go do good in the world. And I think I would challenge every business to find a, a either a divine purpose or a human purpose that's larger than they are. Mm. That, that sounds just like ministry to me, Mike. I mean, it is. Isn't it? And, you know, people, you know, there's another word just thrown around a good bit, which is discipleship. Yep. And people claim in some circles that that could only be done in, I'll call it church world. But to me, discipling is spending time with someone. And where do we spend more time than any place with people in the work environment? I, there's one thing I want to share with you and get, get your comments on this. Probably coming out of the environment that I've been in with all of these ministers and people wanting to do all this and have impact, which is awesome for the world. One of the people that I, I keep in contact, there's some that I may not, but that I believe is having the biggest impact in, in ministry drives for Uber and Lyft. That's now, beautiful. Now you know why. Yeah, no, I, that, that's awesome. That's absolutely awesome. And you know, I mean, let's, let's go back to the ultimate disciple maker. So Jesus never took his disciples to church. Mm. Never. I mean, to the temple a couple of times, but never took them to church. Yeah, but I, I would argue that he took him to the temple because he wanted, <laughs> <laughs> he was about to bust the chops of the Pharisees. You could yeah, be wrong, wrong theologian. <laughs> exactly. He wanted to sell, say, whatever we do, it's not this. Yeah, or, or I thought, gee, I, I didn't, it, this isn't in the scriptures, but I could almost see Jesus as they're about to walk in the door. Watch this, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be disrespectful, but it's kind of one no. of my hold, hold my beer moments. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, good. We, we, we have more listeners now, I'm sure, flocking in based on this comment. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's... Anyway, there, I think there's so much there, and I, and I hear this guy talk... 
and I'm sitting here thinking about people that are, we support, we have a family foundation, we support missionaries that are in the traditional missions field where they get all their financial support, which I might get your thoughts on this. I believe that that system, it works, but to a very small extent, and I believe it's broken. I've been on a two-week missions trip myself. It was nice, but in some ways could have been one of the worst experiences I've been on. And I listen, I get it. People need to get out of their comfort zone and go places and it opens up doors for them. But, but, you know, this guy tells me, he goes, you know what? I, I get a, I get a, an, an Uber or a Lyft and I see I'm about to pick someone up at a house and the destination is Planned Parenthood. And I know I'm about to be called to some of the toughest ministry because I can't hit them square in the face. So I'm praying, I'm talking, I'm using every skill set that the Lord has gifted me with to, to attempt to minister to these people. To me, I believe that is where we're at in the world, that we are all ministering in some form or fashion. And to me, that's what business is mission. Yeah, that's a beautiful says. illustration, beautiful story. Yeah. So, so before I get too off on it, the traditional missions model, obviously we're not going to say it's broken or anything, but businesses mission takes that in a different direction. And I believe that some of these missionaries that are being supported, if they were working in a coffee shop, they might be able to do more actual ministry work. But, you know, again, I can sometimes be black and white about that stuff. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Well, one, one black and white guy to another black and white guy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Some of my best friends are traditional missionaries, uh, and they're, they're involved in, in wonderful work in very hard places. Um, they're clearly called to it, and so it's not mine to, to criticize. Uh, I'm not called to it, and that's fine, uh, but, but it's a partnership. And so many times overseas, in particular, we work hand-in-hand with traditional missionaries who have the, the language skills and the culture and so forth. I, I look at it on a little broader scale, Tim. I think if you look at history, um, you know, what we look at today and call traditional missions is only about 250 years old. Okay, this, this model, I mean, there are early adopters, the, the uh, certain mission societies in England and, and the, the, the um, Moravians in Germany and Bohemia. I mean, there were early adopters of this kind of system of going and being supported, but it really didn't come into its own until kind of the early 1800s, mid 1800s, and so it's not that not been around that long. Uh, some people say well, we can change about the 1400. Yeah, in a couple of instances, but primarily what we do today, this idea of, of people in the West sending their money to support people that live overseas, it's it's a fairly recent development, and it's it like anything, it has problems and it has virtues. The problem is it's incredibly expensive and inefficient to put an American family. Um, in a foreign culture and pay their cost of living, which often exceeds $150,000 a year when everything is rolled up. They're not living luxuriously. So it's not like, oh my gosh, I want that. But it's just very expensive. It's also sometimes very fruitful and sometimes not fruitful at all. So, you know, I mean, we, we can afford to be um, honest about modern missions and, and, and not, not pretend it's perfect, not pretend it's, it's terrible. My concern for the future is that I believe that it's a funding mechanism. And I think most agency heads that I know would agree. The traditional funding mechanism is fading away rapidly. 
and, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Part of it is American selfishness. Part of it is, frankly, the cost of living. We've lost touch with the fact that it takes a husband and wife working full time to, to live. And so there's not as much discretionary income as there used to be, even though we're making more money, we're spending more money. Some are, even, some are even saying that our new tax structure where you can't show it as a deduction because of the high deductible is impacting. I don't, I don't know. I don't understand that as a giver. I don't understand that, but I can see it. So, yeah, I, I could, it makes sense. I mean, I, I would hope people always talk about the church losing its tax status and it'll go bankrupt. It's like, well, if people are only giving for tax deductions, then that's a problem right there. Um, but but I do think that the, the current model is is fading away. I don't know if it'll fade away in our lifetime or not, but I think it's fading away. I think the the integration of business's mission, and teaching is mission, and government is mission. And I think you know people going to live in other cultures, uh, working there, you know, earning a living there, and living among the people. I think that's where kind of the way it was in the beginning, and that's the way it'll be in the next wave. Um, Again, this is, we say traditionally, we think, well, yeah, that's how they did in the Book of Acts. Well, it's not. It's not how they did it. Um, so, you know, I'll give you an example to me. In Indonesia, when I was working over there, I asked a believer, I said, how is it that, that Indonesia, that the, the Dutch missionaries got here first? Hundred, a couple hundred years before the Muslims came, and yet this is the largest Muslim population on earth. I said, how is that? They said, oh, it's easy to explain. The, the, the missionaries came in, and they built missionary compounds. And they built and they and they did missionary things, and they would go out on what they referred to as their missionary raiding parties, and win a convert or two, and drag them kicking and screaming back into the missionary compound. That you know, and they meant well, right? They weren't bad people. They meant well. He said, but the Muslims came here and they worked. They they opened stores and they farmed and they they you know did, did you know leather work and carpentry and he said they just lived among us, and that's how it spread. And I I. I can't come up with a better explanation than that. That mm -hmm. broke my heart and also thrilled me at the same time. Yeah, there's, gosh, there's one other thing I wanted to bring up. You mentioned operational and BAM, and it kind of just asked this question about number one, excellence in business, excellence in ministry, and you just mentioned the work aspect of the Muslims that came in to, uh, to integrate within that culture versus uh, the missions. And I, I had a had a guy that had a hydroponics business that we were looking to grow and he was looking for funding. And I first looked at it, we were in a, a spiritual environment when he was talking to me about it. And he said, I asked him, I said, well, this would be awesome for missionaries because they could actually run this business. They could feed themselves. They could feed others. They could sell it. They could give it away and all this. And, and Mike, it, it just, it broke my heart. He looked at me and said, We've talked to a number of them, and here's what we found. They are some of the laziest, don't want to work group of people. And you and I have seen this. Some people go into the ministry because yeah. the perception of it being easy. And I guess I bring that up to kind of ask you to just to talk about excellence from that business's mission standpoint, but not just within business. I think we have to do that, but also in all that we do, including the ministers that are listening, that are running organizations that they think, you know, we don't, we don't need to do some of the things that are businessy because we're just called to 
operate the church. Yeah, boy, that's a that's that's a whole another podcast right there. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. And so, first of all, you know, let's go back to excellence as a biblical principle. You know, in First Corinthians ten thirty one, Paul makes it clear. He says, "Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, and you put anything, whatever you do, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God." And I think the first thing that whether I'm a, a pastor or whether I'm a, a CEO, it doesn't matter, a school teacher, you know, or retiree. My goal should be built around, does what I do, does what I say, bring glory to God? And, and then that opens up, that changes everything. You know, a lot of people, they, they want to get by, and they'll use, I call it magical thinking. Well, God will bless us because. I'm like, well, first of all, he'll bless you because he's God. Okay, he's not going to bless you because you do anything. But don't, don't tempt him, I guess is the way I would say it. Don't tempt him by saying, well, you owe it to me because this is Christian. You, you owe it to me because I'm, quote, serving you. It's like, he didn't owe you squat. Um, you know, you owe him everything. And so why, and I would ask it this way, why would I not give my best? Why would I not pursue it? Not for merit, not for salvation, not so I, I get more blessing. You know, the, you and I have talked about that. You know, that, that's that prosperity mentality that says if I do ABC, God will do XYZ. It's not nonsense. God will do what he's going to do. He's good. He's kind. He's gracious. And he's going to do all that. But I don't want to take that as license to be lazy. And so, and, and I don't want to be burnt out either. But I remember years ago, and I hope this doesn't offend any ministers listening, but I wrote an article for the Leadership Journal. said, our, and the, the title of it was, Are We Really Overworked? And it was looking at the question, because you can hear the constant, oh, it's so hard, I'm burning out. And I know, I know in some cases that's true, but I also looked and said, you know, you're inefficient. You don't know how to manage time. You, you don't know how to do priority. Fundamentals of making impact. And we didn't, I didn't know them either. I had to learn them. So I think, you know, I, I don't think, well, yeah, you're right. So, I mean, are some lazy people in ministry? Of course. And are some lazy people in business? Of course. Let's don't make business or, or ministry the issue. It's the, we're back to the human heart. A lazy person in the, in the Proverbs is, is a lazy person. <laughs> a sluggard is the way. I mean, how'd you like to have God refer to you as a sluggard? That's just horrible. Does not sound good. Uh... I know, exactly. Let me, let me, I want to shift just a little bit to something that uh, I, I want us to kind of wrap up here with. Tell us about the Third Path Initiative and maybe tie together a lot of the things we have been talking about and bring it to, I believe, this project that you're working with now is a, I don't, maybe solution isn't the right word, but it is, it is the next iteration. It's the next thing. Yeah. So, so in, in my experience, moving from pastoring to business and then the business's mission, that, you know, 30 years active in business's mission. Um, I, I started looking around and saying, okay, well, what next? Not because I'm bored with that, because I think the move is just getting started. But I was, I'm getting older. I mean, I'm, I'm a lot older than you probably think I am. But um, uh, And so my mind has started moving lately to the words legacy, next generation. Uh, I'm not preparing to die. <laughs> I'm not preparing to retire. But your mind starts turning to, okay, what am I leaving the next generation? And so one thing I think we have left the next generation, certainly in the circle we're running in, 
is they, they've sort of thrown off the sacred secular dichotomy. They say, you know, you don't really need to hammer that because we don't see life like that. And I'm like, wow, that's a tremendous victory. But, but the thing I want to work on now is I, I want to build a way for more people to have access to businesses mission education, businesses mission coaching, and even businesses mission funding so that they can either go overseas and do business. What we're finding, Third Path is an online education platform. What we're finding is most of our students are actually overseas already. They're, they're from India, they're from North Africa, they're, they're living in our target world and they're taking courses. Uh, it's, it's modeled much after LinkedIn Learning, which used to be lynda.com, if you're familiar with that. But it's the basic idea of short bursts of education to move them through a course that they can get what they need to, to start practicing business's mission, wherever they are. I had no idea it would, it would be picked up internationally. So it's really exciting because it, it, we, we always say it's accessible because it's online. And it's affordable because it's, I mean, you can complete the core curriculum for $250, which, you know, we're having people complete all the time now. So that's, that is my main focus now is trying to encourage next generation believers to get involved in a more holistic view of business, whether it's overseas or at home, doesn't really matter. I mean, that's up to God, but to, to really, you know, commit themselves to call it whatever missional business, social business, quadruple bottom line, everybody's got a, a phrase, but, I want to see the, particularly younger people, you know, the, the folks in their 20s or 30s, or early 40s, really thinking about, you know, I'm going to build a business. I'm going to build it God's way from start to finish. And so Third Path is a resource for, for that to happen. Good. And we'll include a link in the show notes so that people can go there. And I've looked around. It's great. Like, like I mentioned, there's a conference that we actually would consider going because it seems like there's also connecting that's going on there also, like it's becoming a connecting place. Yes which is good. All right. A couple quick questions as we finish up here. How can, if a person's listening to this and they're in some ministry capacity now, how can they help? And then I'm going to, in the same breath, if someone's in the workforce or they're a business owner, how can they help this movement, this mission, this initiative? All right. So in no particular order, um, first of all, I, I would want to encourage people in, in the pastoral ministry, particularly people in business, don't make the other person the enemy. You know, business's mission is not anti-ministry, and ministry shouldn't be anti-business. We're in this thing together. And so the first thing from both sides is, is learn how to walk with each other. You know, learn how to understand what the pastor's life really is like. Learn how to get into your business person's work life and, and see what you experience. Don't, don't read about it in Fortune magazine. Go and be there. So that, that partnership to me is number one. Particularly, I would make a, to the business person, I would say, start seeking the Lord as to his purpose for your business. He already has one. And, and don't settle until you are crystal clear that he has said, this is why I created this company. This is why I put you in this job. This is why. When you know his why, it, 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 makes, it makes sense. The other thing, and this is a particular plea to pastors, having, having been one, and I'm still a pastor in practice, so to speak, um, and I wrote a book about it called The Pastor and the Business Person. But please take time to figure out how to minister to your business people. They don't, being equipped for ministry, Ephesians 4, doesn't mean taking a CEO and teaching him how to do sock puppets for vacation Bible school. Right? There's nothing wrong with that, but that's not what it means. And, and stop seeing 
equipping the saints as equipping them within the four walls of the building. I always get assigned to the parking lot. <laughs> Go direct parking. Yeah, here's a vest. <laughs> the pastor views his business people or his nurses or his doctors or whoever as in the world. The question ought to be, how do I equip them to live there? How, not, not just to be good fathers or mothers, but and, and good members of the church here in the building, but how do I equip a teacher to live out her faith in the classroom? How do I equip a CEO how to share the gospel with his board members? I mean, that's the question, or the type, those are the types of questions we need to ask. And because um, it's not building my kingdom. And if I'm a pastor building my kingdom or a business person building my kingdom, I'm at odds with God. And that's not a good place to be. Yeah. That's so good, Mike. A uh, couple questions as we wrap here. What's, what's, we like to be real transparent on this podcast. What's the biggest challenge you had to overcome or still overcoming other than being a Tennessee fan? Um, what's the biggest <laughs> hurdle? That was, that was old. <laughs> you do know, I, I pull for Tennessee at least one game a year. When they play UGA, you know I'm a huge Tennessee fan. I am not going to wear that orange, though. That's that's not <laughs> good. But, uh, you know, as a tech guy, I, I pull for anybody. So, anyway, yeah, sorry to bring that in there right at the end. But just a big challenge you've had to overcome, and that may have been – that may be it, but if there's something else. <laughs> Well, that was one of them. Um, we did have a seven and five season. I'll point out. Oh, y'all had a winning record. You know what? I, I I would have to search that because I didn't even know this last year. Y'all had it <laughs> out on. Snow. I heard Georgia State beat you last year. Oh, uh, they did. Yes, they did. That was painful. that was maybe the embarrassing. Sorry. Sorry about that. Sorry to end on a sour note. <laughs> yeah. So, there have been a lot of experiences uh, that have been challenging. I, I think I think many of the people, if I can address what I think they may wrestle with particularly if they're coming from a, a ministry side, um, is when I left the formal pastorate, I wrestled, I, I knew I was being called out of it, no question. But I wrestled with, with, a, with guilt over, quote, leaving the ministry. And I'll never forget when one of my seminary professors called me, you know, been out uh, 10 years, whatever. And he said, I understand you've left the pastorate. I said, well, yeah, I have. Just, have you lost your faith? And it, it, did you backslide? Really, did you backslide? <laughs> it really hurt. The the immediate assumption was I, I was off the off the track. Now God is so good. Because years later, one of my seminary professors and I became very very close friends, and he was fascinated to learn about business's mission and totally endorsed it and affirmed the path that I'd taken. But it was it was a you, you know you're going to stare down the the suspicion of the Pharisees, and they'll never have a clue. Even if you stay in the pastorate, I'm not advocating anybody to leave the pastorate. But if you're taking a more business-oriented approach to pastoring and equipping, you're going to get, get challenged by the people who see that as dabbling in the world. And that was hard. Yeah. I persevered by God's grace and, and uh, have, have, haven't finished the course, but I've kept the faith. That's good. How are things at the Elizabeth Lee Inn? Oh, they're good. My wife is incredibly gifted. For those of you that have never been to the mountains of Western North Carolina, it is absolutely stunning. And my wife has the uh, Elizabeth Lee Inn is is um, considered to be the Ritz Carlton of, of mountain inns. It's a, it's a fabulous place, known for southern hospitality, service, food, um, elegance. Yeah, my wife is such a gift in in hospitable hospitality and making people feel at home and comfortable. So it sounds like a kingdom business to me. 
It is, yeah. Sure. Or Christian business or business as mission. Whatever. <laughs> business as mission. So this, that, that probably is the answer to this next question. What is next for Mike? You're in California now. You're probably going to be heading back east soon. Uh, but uh, what's next for you? Just anything pop to mind? It's like you're excited about coming up. We're recording this right around the end of 2019. Probably we released in 2020. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you mentioned Third Path. I'm really excited about that right now. That's, that's a new endeavor. It's got a lot of potential. I'm really excited about the reach and being able to, to effectively equip people in other countries without them having to travel here or me having to travel there. It's, uh, it's, it's, I'm very excited about that. It's just getting off the ground. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Mike, I, I, I knew this would be such a great conversation and it even far exceeded my expectations. I do want to ask before I do the wrap up, the title of the podcast, Seek, Go, Create, three words, they, they have a lot of meaning, but I just want to ask you, does one of those words jump out at you and why as we, as we wrap here? Oh, you know, it's funny to see about that earlier. I'd have to go with create. Um, but I could also make a case for seek or go, right? So um, I just feel like when we're creating, we're godlike. You know, we are we are being like our father, who is a creator, and so it's a there's a special thrill to creating something that was that was either never there before or is better than anything that was ever there in the past. I mean, to me, that's that's sort of the I guess the point of the whole thing. Yeah, that's good. We were we were created in his image. He's a creator, so we are too, which is cool. So. Mike, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I know this took a great deal of time. You had your lunch come and go, probably getting cold as we were doing this. But I know, I know that this has really ministered and educated a lot of our listeners. And so thank you. Thank you so much for all those listeners. I know you've enjoyed this. Once again, thank you for listening, for rating, for reviewing. And I just encourage you to share this. There are so many people that need to hear what Mike discussed today, some of the conversations we had, how business relates to ministry and our calling. And I know it'll be a blessing. So please share it. And I will look forward to speaking to you again on the Seek, Go, Create podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Seek, Go, Create podcast, a part of the SGC network. For those looking for excellence, moving towards success and creating something new. We are constantly discussing bold new topics and ideas here on the network, so be sure to subscribe to be notified when we post new episodes. We look forward to sharing more with you next time, but until then, enjoy the journey.